Hello and welcome to the 20th episode of Outside the Screen, a podcast all about screens in the lives of children and families. I'm law professor and child rights advocate, Liz Hansley. And I'm child psychiatrist and stand-up comic, Dr. Kim Lee. We're bringing you the podcast because we know just how hard it is to raise kids today in a internet world and we want to help. What have we got lined up for this episode, Liz? Today on the show, you're going to hear a review of a movie about an orphan boy in Paris, and we'll be shooting the breeze about a big lawsuit against Meta in the US. But first up, we've got... Paper Round, our regular segment where we look at the research that's coming out and demystify it so that it can better inform your family's decisions about how you engage with screens. Today, we're discussing an article by a Chinese and Pakistani team of researchers about animated movies and its link with aggression. So, if you want to find out if aggression is more than just boys being boys and what you can do about this, stay tuned. As Kim said, today in Paper Round, we're looking at some research by Chinese and Pakistani scholars about how to control aggression in children who've been watching violent animated movies. I was particularly keen to look at this paper because I have been hearing for many years arguments about how, oh, it's only animation, it's not really violence, it's not going to affect anybody's thoughts or feelings or behaviour. And um, I've always understood that the research says different. So it was good to see this one pop up on our horizon. So how'd they do the research? Well, they studied 300 primary school-aged children. And of those children who were found to be aggressive, they applied the C-backed intervention, which is called Cognitive Behavioral Anger Control Training. Hmm. So C-backed is a kind of CBT or Cognitive Behavior Therapy. It's 10 sessions long and generally designed to reduce anger and aggression in three main ways. Hmm. So those three ways are looking at arousal, Hmm. recognizing that anger can be triggered by your physical state, your physical state of arousal. Hmm. And uh, looking at, secondly, restructuring your thoughts. So looking at how you can change your thinking and including pro-social skills to provide alternate ways of responding to a situation. Mm -hmm. And then finally, modeling and role-playing appropriate behavior. So teaching kids how to behave through our own actions. Hmm. Interesting. So that that first bit about arousal, I gather that that is a matter of teaching kids to recognize their own arousal or or teaching patients, I suppose. It doesn't just have to be kids, does it? Is that the idea that you recognize your arousal and you think about what's likely to follow? Yes. Okay. um, So what did they find? They found that violent animations played a significant role in aggression and behavioral problems of male students in Mm -hmm. particular, as opposed to female students. They found that boys from what we call nuclear families, that Mm. is without extended families, were more aggressive Mm. and tended to have more behavioral problems. And girls from extended families were more likely to be aggressive or have behavioral problems. So That's so interesting. What do you make of that? Well... Firstly, boys enjoy being in larger family systems, but Mm. for girls, perhaps being in a larger family, perhaps there's a bit more sort of uh, emotional aspects. um, That's what I'm guessing. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Maybe more drama. I don't know. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I can imagine in a larger family there might be more expectations put on girls. There has to be more of a structure and so more of a sense of, right, this is your place, this is the, the role that you play in this family, whereas in a smaller family it might be a bit more fluid. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. I really wasn't expecting them to come up with anything about family style. Yeah, that, that definitely, yeah. yeah. And they, they also found that aggression in students increased with the longer duration of animation viewing. That is, you know, mm. 10 to 30 minutes as opposed to a few seconds or mm. a few minutes. And this suggested that viewing the animations can alter your feelings and thoughts dependent on your watching time. Mm. And so interventions like CBACT help improve your self-awareness mm-hmm. and reduce aggression. Yep. It can reduce anger and aggression of students by controlling their aggressive thoughts, feelings, and ultimately anger. Mm. Right. Anything surprising about any of that? Does it fit with what we already know? Look, in my practice, I hear about children being aggressive towards their parents all the time. Mm. I had never really heard of CBAC intervention before. It really could be a cost-effective way of treating a very common presentation. I mean, it's 10 sessions. You know, you could train up a team of therapists and go into schools and Mm. identify these kids and and apply this to Mm. reduce aggression at home and perhaps at school. And can you do it in groups? Well, I would say that, yes, you could do it in groups because they studied 300 primary school-aged kids. So mm-hmm. applying 10 sessions individually, you're essentially yeah. doing 3,000 sessions. So Yeah, they I would, would say, have had to have mm, a, a big grant to do that, I'd yes, say. Yes, yeah. <laughs> or so, a lot of slave labor. Or <laughs> um, well, using artificial intelligence or something, I don't know. Yeah, that could be very interesting. Yeah, okay. Is it available in Australia, to your knowledge? I didn't look it up, sorry. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll add it in the show notes, yeah. Cool. So, any reservations about the finding? Well, it's a very specific region of Pakistan and it might have some very specific cultural factors involved. Mm. I'm not sure how many Pakistani people there are in Australia, but definitely from around that sort of cultural area, we do have a a massive, for example, Indian population Mm. here, Sri Lankan. They might share some cultural similarities. Mm. Certainly a, a large Asian population in Australia that would look at the extended family system. Mm. So. Yeah, that stuff about the style of family arrangement is it's certainly worth thinking mm. about some more. And it's a good reminder that we aren't all white Anglo-Saxon Protestant as, as we sit in this room, you and me. It's good to keep that in mind if we're really, really trying to figure out. I was being interviewed on the radio a couple of days ago because mm. I had a piece come out in the conversation at yeah. the beginning of this week and I've had some media interest from that. And they were asking me, do you think Australians have this or that attitude? And I just thought it's so hard to talk about Australians as – and it probably always was, but you just can't generalise about yeah. people's and, attitudes. You know, I've forgotten to mention Indigenous populations too. Yeah. You know, definitely they would definitely have larger family systems. and Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Indeed. And especially now in November 2023, we need to be thinking about all that, don't we? Okay. Um. So – it sounds like it might affect your practice as a psychiatrist, yes or no? Yeah, I think um, looking at the family tree is always important, you know, who is who else is in the system, mm. looking at aggression from a more not just gaming perspective but also viewing yeah, these sort of anime from Japan can be quite violent as well and, and kids seem to really love it. Mm. And for parents and people caring for children out there, how can these findings inform that? Well, if there is a parental guideline, use it. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
And it sounds to me like it's worth just underlining the fact that you can't just say, oh, it's just a cartoon. That if you're concerned about violence in your child's media diet, then you need to be looking at animated stuff as well. Well, there were a couple of pretty interesting tips from Kim about animation and guidelines regarding the content that children are consuming. The paper was from Ponam Saba, Haiwen Kui, Atif Salim, Ijun Chen, Fad Navid Kausar, and Mohammed Fahan Iqbal. And the title is Effects of Animated Movies on the Aggression and Behaviour Performance of Primary School Students and Their Control Using a Cognitive Behavioural Anger Control Training CBACT Program. It was published in the journal Behavioural Sciences and we've got full details in the show notes. And now it's time for our movie review and John Francois is going to tell us why the movie Hugo is recommended for kids aged 12 and up. Hi, I am Jean-Francois and I'm here with some information from the CMA review of Hugo. I'll tell you what the movie is about and what elements led the reviewers to recommend the film for children 12 and up, as well as some suggestions for things in the movie you might want to discuss with your kids. Hugo Cabret, a lonely young orphaned boy, lives a secret life in the hidden passageways and giant clocks of a Paris train station in the 1930s. Hugo spends his time maintaining the station clocks, scavenging from shop vendors, avoiding the mean-spirited station inspector and stealing mechanical toys from shopkeeper Georges Méliès. Hugo has been using the clockwork parts from stolen toys to fix a mechanical man which Hugo's late father rescued from a museum. Hugo believes that if he can repair the automaton, it will reveal a message from his father. When Hugo attempts to steal a clockwork mouse from the toy shop, George catches him and forces him to hand over a notebook containing detailed sketches of clockwork mechanisms. Distraught by the loss of his notebook, Hugo follows George home, where he is befriended by George's young goddaughter Isabel, who promises that she won't let George burn the notebook. The mystery thickens when a heart-shaped key given to Isabella by her godmother activates the automaton, which begins to draw images that lead Hugo and Isabella on a series of adventures. The film contains some slapstick violence, perilous situations involving adults and children, and some low-level violence, verbal threats and intimidation by adults against children. For example, when the station inspector and his doberman chase Hugo through the train station, Hugo leaps and tips over a dinner table, scaring people sitting there, while the inspector runs into a group of musicians and destroys a double bass. The inspector roughly pushes people out of the way as he attempts to catch Hugo. Towards the end of the chase, the inspector's leg brace becomes entangled in the door of a departing train and he's dragged along. We see a quick image of Hugo's father opening a door and a firestorm rushing up a hallway to engulf him, 
but we don't see him actually burnt. There is also a scene where the inspector catches a crying and distressed young boy and shoves him into a small wire cage in his office. The inspector phones the police, instructing them to come and pick up the boy and take him to an orphanage. In addition to the violent scenes just described, there are some that could scare or disturb children under the age of 13, including a quick image of a dead waterlogged body of Hugo's uncle next to the river, after which we hear that the body has been at the bottom of the river for several months before being discovered. Then there is a scene where Hugo jumps onto a train track and a train hurtles towards him. The train's whistle blows and sparks fly from the wheels as the driver applies the brakes. Hugo is pulled to safety just in time in that scene, but not so in a dream scene where he disappears under the train, which continues to cause destruction as it carries through a crowded station with people diving out of the way. Eventually, the train crashes out of the station's second-story window and onto the pavement below. The reviewer noted a couple of low-level sexual references, including where the station inspector is heard to wonder whether his wife's unborn child is his. There is also some low-level flirting and use of alcohol and tobacco. While there is no coarse language as such, there are several instances of name-calling, for example, little urchin with filthy little mitts, simple-minded, idiot, of bloated buffoon. Hugo is a fantasy action-adventure with a great cast suited to an audience ranging from younger teenagers to adults. The film includes mature themes and sophisticated storyline unsuited to under-tens. The film's running time of 126 minutes is also too long for young viewers. The main message from this movie is that we all have a part to play in life, like a cog in a clockwork mechanism, and it is that purpose that gives our life meaning. Parents may wish to discuss with their children the importance of finding a purpose in life. Hugo believes that people who do not have a purpose in life are like a broken cog. Values in this movie that parents may wish to reinforce with their children include perseverance, selflessness, Hugo refuses to give up regardless of the dangers he must face and it is through his perseverance that he is able to discover truth. Hugo is available on a popular streaming service and the CMA reviewers recommend it for children 12 and up, parental guidance for 10 and 11 year olds. For children under 10, best to find another movie. There is a more detailed review of this and hundreds of other movies on the CMA website. And when Jean-Francois talks about the CMA website, that's www.childrenandmedia.org.au. You can find the reviews by clicking on the Movie Reviews tab, and then you can sort the list or search by title alphabetically, by age suitability, or by classification, or by date added. All of the reviews are prepared by people with training in child development and they cover every G and PG title released in Australian cinemas since 2002, as well as selected M-rated movies that we thought were being promoted to kids and some pre-2002 ones that are available on streaming services, which we're trying to build up more. The website also has reviews of game-style apps and apps that may appeal to young children. 
Again, it's www.childrenandmedia.org.au. You might also like to join the CMA Facebook community. Find facebook.com forward slash Australian Council on Children and the Media, all one word. More details later on how to keep in touch and give feedback. Now it's time for Policy Corner. Liz and I are going to figure out what's going on in US law courts where quite a few state attorneys general are taking action against Meta. So Liz, a lawsuit against a company by all these state attorneys general sounds like a big deal. Yeah, look, it really is. It's attorneys general from 41 states. And more remarkable than that, it's a combination of Republican-Democrat. And I think we're probably all aware just how polarised politics is becoming in the US and how toxic things are between the Republicans and the Democrats. And the fact that so many of them have joined together in this one endeavour to get Meta Mm. accountable is a really big deal, I think. We're going to look back on this in five years and see it as a really, really important moment. And I privately hope that it will lead to other areas that aren't necessarily in my wheelhouse, but other areas where Republicans and Democrats can, as they call it in the US, reach across the aisle and work together because that country really needs it. And the rest of us do too. Anyway, out of the 41, there's 33 states that are represented and they're bringing a lawsuit under federal law in California because that's where Meta is based, but it's a, a federal lawsuit. And then there are AGs from eight states plus DC, which is like a territory, and they're bringing individual suits in other courts. So a lot going on. It all basically started with Frances Haugen, who you probably heard of, the woman who was the Facebook whistleblower. Mm. And then following her revelations, there was a big investigation. And also in the context of that, there were various attempts at legislation in different states. For example, one state tried to bring in a law that you had to have parental consent if you were under 18 to have a, a social media account. But they ran into difficulties with the First Amendment because there is this clause in the Constitution protecting freedom of speech and it tends to protect businesses like Meta. So that's what they're doing and it's just started quite recently. Yeah. So what's the lawsuit actually about? Well, if I could talk about the general concern that's propelling it, it's that Meta has been cultivating addiction. Basically, that's what seems to be the central concern here. So it certainly seems to revolve around mental health impacts as well. So they mention things like sleep and body image, depression, anxiety. So that's a really large part of it and so of great interest to us, obviously. They're complaining about things like recommendation algorithms, social comparison features. They call them social comparison features. What they mean by that is things like likes that they feed into this whole problem. Yeah. Disruptive notifications and filters contributing to addiction and infinite scroll and autoplay, all those things that are really built-in features. And now these attorneys general are saying this is a breach of your obligations as a company to be doing this. Um, So they say that these things exploit children's psychological vulnerabilities and cultivate a fear of missing out, all the stuff we pretty well knew. And they also say that the company turned a blind eye to the harm that they were causing. Wow. Yeah. You know, this is stuff that we've been talking about for years. Yeah. Part of me is also a bit cynical and and sceptical that is it a genuine concern for the population or our kids or is it 
hang on a sec, Meta's gotten too powerful. We've got to do something about this. What does the research say? Mm. <laughs> you know? That's yeah. just that's just me, but well, look, I don't think that's cynical. I think they're politicians. They're going to do what's in their best interests. They're going to do what's going to get them votes. That's natural. But at the same time, we don't need to worry too much about their motivations mm. because it's still an action that yeah, massive action is going to have. If they get what they're asking for, it's going to really yeah. change the landscape, and that's a good yep. thing. Yeah, yeah, really set a precedent. Mm. So, what are they saying? Meta has done wrong legally. A lot of it boils down to misrepresentation. That's this legal concept of lying, misleading people, basically. So there's a lot of aspects of that, but a lot of it is about Meta has been misleading the public and children about what it's doing, about how it's doing it and so on. won't go into the details on that because that gets a bit boring, but it's about misrepresentation and also they're using the legal concept of unfair and unconscionable practices which come from consumer law basically the US and Australia both have and a lot of other countries have these laws that are aiming to protect consumers like recognizing that consumers are vulnerable that there's a power differential and saying people who provide goods and services to consumers need to act in a conscionable manner they need to have a conscience yeah. okay they, they need to act in accordance with their conscience so they allege that the company engaged in a, and I'm quoting here, scheme to exploit young users for profit, and that's the end of the quotation, by misleading them about safety features and the prevalence of harmful content. Also, there's a whole privacy angle to it as well. They misled, have been misleading them about harvesting their data. They've been violating federal laws on children's privacy because I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, in the US they have this Children's Online Privacy Protection Act or COPPA. So they're saying that's been violated. They claim that the company knowingly deployed changes to keep children on the site to the detriment of their well-being. So that comes back to the infinite scroll and the likes and so on. And uh, they've violated consumer protection laws. And they say that Meta's actions are offensive to public policy. And, yeah, my law brain switched on there and I thought, well, how does that become illegal? Like you can do things that are offensive to public policy, but they're not necessarily illegal. So it'll be interesting to see mm. how they flesh that argument out. So what is Zuckerberg and Meta saying in their defence? Well, they're denying the allegations. <laughs> they're saying the governments have misunderstood the facts. The research is equivocal. They had implemented certain changes following Haugen's revelations. For example, they brought in parental tracking tools. They have stricter default privacy settings for young users now, which they didn't before apparently. And apparently they also have little pop-ups warning young users to take a break from social media. I've never seen that before. Well, we're not young, I guess. Maybe maybe we should start a new profile with and put in notifications too. Yeah, anyway, they did all of that, but it's just so interesting to look at that list and see how it's all putting it back on the yeah. user. Yeah. yeah. I think that the default privacy settings is probably a really good thing. I think mm. default settings can be quite powerful and quite helpful. Yeah. And I really doubt many young people would be motivated to go in and change their privacy settings unless it was going to get them something extra that they wanted. But mm. um I'm not sure that that would come up very much. Yeah. Anyway, they also commented on some plans that Joe Biden has, and this is separate to what's going on with this lawsuit. Biden plans to pass a law against them monetizing young people's data, which would be a really great thing to say. You you just do what you want with young people's data, but don't monetize it. Don't use it in a way that you get any profit out of it. And they've said they will vigorously fight that. 
Let's vigorously fight. That's their words. And that, I think, gives an indication of how important the monetization of yep. young people's data is to them. And so that's going to be another thing maybe cutting across this whole thing. Mm. And what sorts of outcomes could the lawsuit lead to? Civil penalties, certainly. Hopefully really big ones because it's a very wealthy company and for a penalty to have any kind of deterrent effect, it needs to hurt in some way. There could be orders for them to change their business practices. You've probably heard of the concept of an injunction. So there could well be injunctions coming out of this. So court orders to stop doing this or that. And also they've said restitution. And again, my legal brain wakes up and I think, how can you get restitution there? Because normally restitution is where there's been an unfair sort of transfer of wealth from one person to another. And, uh, you know, nobody ever pays for Facebook. We know this. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how that's going to work. That's going to be very interesting for any legal nerds out there to find out what they mean by that. Now, it is very likely that there will be a settlement, that it won't actually go right through the courts and that there will be a private negotiation. And and sometimes when there's a settlement, you don't find out the full details Mm. of what actually happened and how much money, you know, Meta had to to hand over, that kind of stuff. So we'll see. We'll see what will happen. But those are some of the possibilities. Is there likely to be any similar action here in Australia? Well, look, if it's successful in the US, there should be no need because Meta will have to change its business practices. Like If it loses or if it gives in in some way in the settlement, then it will change its business practices and that will affect the whole world. So there won't be any need to have any kind of action like that here. I suppose in a slightly dystopian mindset, we could say Meta could find a way to protect American kids but leave all other kids. I think that, that will happen, yeah. Well, okay, if that does happen, then other countries probably would need to make them accountable in some way. We'd need to find a legal peg to hang it on. Misleading conduct is one. But there's no privacy protection in Australia yet. We're still talking about... Yeah, yeah, not in that sense. Not in the way that COPPA gives US Mm. kids protection. Now, there is a lot going on and a lot being discussed. We probably will have some changes to the Privacy Act soon that will bring in those kinds of protections. And hopefully some that are particularly strong to protect kids. Not really sure how that's all going to work out. But anyway, there's certainly no general duty to avoid harming people's mental health, even children's. And maybe there should be. But it could be tricky to have something like this in Australia. It wouldn't be as simple. And it's already quite complex over there. (laughs) Mm. All right. So... When you sent me this article, Liz, you know, I was very surprised that they all agreed. That's the one big thing. And, yeah. and they're so powerful to go up against this Goliath. Yeah. And it follows other fines against big corporations. So money talks. Yeah. And I think this is a real lesson to the population that if you are using a free product, then you end up being the product itself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully people will become more aware of that and just what the implications of it are. Well, that's about all we have time for today. Yes, that's a wrap for episode 20. We'd really love to have your feedback, so please get in touch. If you're a subscriber on Substack, you can leave a comment there. Otherwise, you can contact us through Facebook or Instagram. Just search for Outside the Screen Pod, all one word, or you can email us at outsidethescreenpod at gmail.com. You can also catch up on all things gaming addiction related on my website, cgiclinic.com, or even book a session to see me 
Or if you really like us, you can help by subscribing to the show on your listening platform and or on Substack. It's worth doing both because on Substack, you can get an email when a new episode drops or there's other news. And you can also join our listener community. Details are in the show notes along with a range of further info about the things we've been discussing. We'd also love it if you could spread the word about the podcast among your friends and colleagues. Finally, you can rate and review us on your listening platform to make it easier for others to find us. And this this has been been the team from Outside the Screen. See you next week.